The Daily Rios, episode 457, Revisiting X-Men, the movie. Mutation. It is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. Hey everyone, this is your host, Peter. Totally unexpected podcast topic. Not gonna lie. (laughs) I watched one trailer for the upcoming Dark Phoenix movie, and I got the notion that, you know, it's no surprise that it feels like an end to the almost 20-year movie franchise, so I thought, I kind of want to see it in the theaters. And then I figured, why not revisit all of the X-Men movie universe? You know, because I have nothing else to do, right? So that's what I'm planning to do. X-Men, the Wolverine movies. I still can't get through the first Deadpool movie, so maybe I'll try those again. And then what you're going to get are, you know, quick episodes uh, as I lead up to hopefully seeing Dark Phoenix. We have the DVDs here, so we sat down last night and we watched the first movie, and uh, here are my thoughts. Uh, I'm not going to go in-depth. This is more old-school style of The Daily Rios, where I'm just going to hit you with some quick thoughts. There are definitely people out there who read all the interviews, who watch all the -the behind-the-scenes stuff, the DVD extras... Uh, you know, you're going to be more informed on all of that stuff than I am. This is to maybe just spark conversation, you know, kind of like a remember when kind of thing. Um, uh, or maybe to inspire you to give the movie uh, a revisit to see what you think 19 years later, right? And then if you do all that, send me some feedback, peter at thedailyrios.com or on the website, thedailyrios.com, or Twitter, Peter J. Rios, and the new Instagram, The Daily Rios. Come and play along, please. And along the way, let me know what your favorite way is to play along with podcasts. How do you provide feedback for podcasts? Um, or maybe you're just a silent listener, like we used to call them back in the CGS days. And for you, listening is enough. And, you know, I'm totally cool with that. Uh, I guess part of this is I'm trying to stay on top of where people pull their podcasts from now that iTunes, as we know it, is changing or going bye-bye or whatever. So I have to make sure that, uh, you know, the feed is out there. I know it's on Stitcher uh, through Android. used to be on Google, but then something changed on that, so I have to check that. And then now, you know, I should check out Spotify and Pandora, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know. Does anybody want me to put them on YouTube? I don't know about that. All right. So anyway, here we go. X-Men from 2000. 
part of what I'm looking for as I'm watching uh, this movie and some of the later movies that I haven't seen in a long time is to see how they resonate backwards, right? Because I've seen all of these movies, as I watch the earlier ones, uh, is there anything that might echo later, especially as we get into the newer cast, and especially as we get into Dark Phoenix, which should be set in the 90s, right? Because First Class was 60s, uh, Days of Future Past was 70s, Apocalypse was 80s. So this one should be 90s, almost leading up to this first movie. It's kind of why I wanted to watch it. I wanted to see if there was anything that would maybe cycle back or, you know, circle back. So um, that's something I'm, lo I'm looking for. What I walked away with with this movie is X-Men, the first one, decent actors waiting for a much better script or story. Even though it had a very strong opening, there's something about the rest of the movie that is uh, uneven. I still like the way Wolverine is introed. It still works for me. There's enough mystery. We get a slow intro of all of his abilities, his torment, his memory. The way he is the point man into the X-Men and into this universe. Does it make sense that he should be that? Probably not, but it certainly makes sense to build this franchise around the team's most popular member, right? Uh, Magneto is fun to watch. He is looser. He is a villain. The way that Ian McKellen plays him feels like this is his first uh, attack at it, obviously. But um, I think we're going to get a much weightier Magneto as we go. There was just something about this that, uh, as I was watching, it was like, oh, he's smiling more, or he feels like he's having fun. And uh, I don't think that's what you're supposed to think about Magneto, but that's what I thought about watching this first movie. Uh, we get the whole opening in Washington, D.C. I like that. It sets up the whole mutant population thing, the political aspect, uh, Senator Kelly, Jean Grey. It's pretty smart and uh, kind of outlines the dilemma. Um, by the end of the movie, I, I kind of forgot this, uh, the X-Men are definitely in secret and saving a world uh, safely from the shadows. You know, they're real cautious. Uh, the team and, and their uh, mission is on the verge of something that is not quite there yet. And I think that's something that happens in X-Men 2. So even though there is this whole, you know, uh, the population hates us and we are told that a lot, we're shown it a few times, but I feel like um, even the battle with the Brotherhood that happens on the Statue of Liberty is kind of isolated. It's all very secret. So uh, that was something I took away this time. All in all, though, I was entertained. I watched it. I thought, oh, this still kind of works. As I said, there are some scenes that are slow, other, other scenes that felt sparse, like there wasn't enough dialogue. It was just one or two lines for to make sure all the characters talk, and then that's it. Uh, certainly, the effects don't necessarily hold up. I think if this movie was made today with newer special effects. But if it was made today exactly the same way in terms of script, tone, 
characters, actors. Uh, I don't necessarily think it would be one of the top tier superhero movies. It probably would be in like the lower tier, but who knows? Um, I did have to laugh as I was doing a little research. I found an interview from Entertainment Weekly back in 2000 where they were talking about all the script stuff and uh, specifically about Joss Whedon coming in to help out with The Last Battle, and then he went on to kind of uh, redo the entire script here and there. Um, And there was this quote. (laughs) It says, Sources close to the production say that Whedon's changes were scrapped because his quick-witted pop culture referencing tone didn't jibe with director Brian Singer's more serious vision for the X-Men. Quick-witted pop culture referencing tone. What movie franchise does that sound like, right? Um, so when I think of uh, the other movies, the, the future X-Men movies, or when I think about how these characters will grow in the 19 years that we see them, I, I wrote some other thoughts down here. Sometimes uh, based on how the actors are, are portraying them, sometimes based on uh, the other actors that we will see in the first class uh, lineage of, of movies. So Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, uh, start of his career. It's it's interesting to see a, a, a younger Hugh Jackman. Uh, he has a lot of the beats down. He's not as ripped as he will be in later movies. Uh, he's also another one that is having a little bit of fun. He's smiling. There are some um, some jokes here and there. I had to laugh that he says he doesn't know Sabretooth, or he laughs at the name Sabretooth. And um, I guess that makes sense if his memory is gone, even though he has such a history with the character. Um, Patrick Stewart, Professor X. You know, as great as as, uh, the casting is for that character, as great as Patrick Stewart is, um... This time as I was watching him, I sat there and thought, hmm, it's kind of very subtle what he's doing. And I don't even mean subtle in um, he's inhabiting this character in, in very quiet moments. No, I, th- I don't think there's a lot going on there beyond what Patrick Stewart can do. Clearly, he wants to be different than Jean-Luc Picard. He also wants to be a counter to the way Ian McKellen is playing Magneto. Um, because even though I feel like this Magneto is a little bit lighter, there definitely is, uh, he's cold, he's stern. Professor X, um, it's kind of a little, like, casual for my tastes. I'm used to Professor X in the comics having some sternness, having a, a little bit of urgency. You know, when he's sitting in his wheelchair, he's sitting forward, leaning. If you think of those old Jack Kirby um, images of, of Professor X, not all the time, times, but most of the times, or when I was reading Professor X when he wasn't even in the wheelchair. Um, so I don't know, something very calm about this Professor X that um, I didn't hate, but uh, I don't know, kind of struck me, kind of struck me. Uh, Rogue, uh, you know, not much to say about Rogue. She's the point character here, but... Um, I don't know. I didn't have any notes. Uh, Jean Grey. Now, watching this movie, uh, you really see how her character, outside of like Professor X or Wolverine, she's kind of like the 
um, the other character that uh, gets a lot of screen time. However, it's because she rotates around the other characters. She's either in a scene with Wolverine, or she's in a scene with Cyclops, or she's in a scene with Professor X, right? So she doesn't use her power much in this in this uh, chapter. Um, I sat there and thought, wow, uh, even though she's kind of developed, she's not really. She feels very empty. Um, I did notice that there's an interesting little thing that happens when Wolverine shuts down the machine that Rogue was attached to on the Statue of Liberty. Uh, all that radiation is pouring out. And they said earlier in the movie that it, it, would, it doesn't affect mutants so far as they know. The X-Men are enveloped by it. And then when it gets zapped back and pulled back and dissipates, she's affected by it. She has a momentary little thing where she catches her breath. And uh, if you put that in connection with her scene earlier with Cerebro, that clearly does something to her. You add that plus this little radiation moment, plus everything that goes on in X2, and I have to wonder if um, this little moment on the Statue of Liberty was also supposed to be uh, a stepping stone to her release of the Dark Phoenix power. But it does feel like they kind of forgot about, or maybe just discarded, this little notion. She's the only one that has that reaction, so I thought that was kind of cool. Um, Storm, Halle Berry, she is clearly doing an accent. I think she loses it later on. Her powers during this movie take so long to, to generate. Um, you know, she has to have the eye change. She has to look up in the sky and then a little wind kicks up and then the lightning happens. And I don't know, it just seems to take a long time for her to get going. And I feel like there's an element of inexperience in all of the characters, which is fine, um, even though you can tell that they have been together for a little bit of time. Uh, but in her case, not, her not being able to call her, call on her powers immediately, uh, kind of didn't work. And I feel like maybe some of it is that, that inexperience, or maybe they're trying to go the whole Cyclops thing with all of them where they can't quite control their abilities. I don't know. Uh, Cyclops, he's fine. Um, he definitely has the better visual when it comes to his powers. Those are still a lot of fun when his uh, eye beams just shoot all over the place. Uh, I talked about Magneto. Again, you know, he's great. Mystique. Now, this one, <laughs> Rebecca Romaine uh, Stamos, clearly is the way she plays this character, um, is not a lead-in to the way Jennifer Lawrence portrays it. Nor should it be, right? Because Jennifer Lawrence came later. But I feel like the way Jennifer Lawrence plays it is such a different thing. And it'll be interesting to see how that grows. Because I kind of like the mystique here, who is very balletic, gymnast-like. She slithers when she fights. She's very fluid. Um, I kind of like that. I kind of like it. Uh, Toad, fine. Sabretooth, fine. He he feels very neutered. He's almost like a brute, which is very different from the Sabretooth we're going to get before. So uh, it'll be interesting to see his uh, character change. Uh, and that's really it. That Those are, those are all the thoughts uh, uh, for the movie. Now, I realized that I had some comics from around that time, some of the movie prequels. 
They definitely read like promotional comics, if you know what I'm talking about, where the art feels more like you're reading moments, picture moments that someone took, not sequentials. The dialogue and the art are really disconnected. Some of these issues, the likenesses are there for some of the actors, some of them are not. They feel rushed. They feel like something that you send away for out of a cereal box. Um, but, you know, they're, they're meant to be promotional. They're meant to be quick. I'm sure they develop, developed them quickly without very little information from the movies. The editors were Bob Harris, Mike Martz, uh, Mike Raisht. Uh, let's see. We had one on Magneto, one on Wolverine, and one on Rogue. The Magneto one is by Joe Pruitt of Caliber Comics, penciled by Mark Texiera, who I like, but it wasn't very good. Uh, inker Jimmy Pal Palmiotti and letterer Chris Iliopoulos, who did all of the lettering for all three of them. So, you know, in the Magneto one, we get, he, he, he goes back and revisits his origin. We get to see where Charles and Eric met in Israel in 1992. They're going to build the school together um, after an incident, and obviously their friendship gets betrayed, betrayed by something that Magneto does. I felt like all of those events happened super fast. Their friendship happened too quickly. Um, the way they broke apart happened so quickly. There is a lot of dialogue back and forth about their two positions along this topic of, of you know, mutants and humans living together. Um but sometimes the dialogue just feels clipped. Um, we get a scene where they built Cerebro together. Interestingly enough, there's one scene that reminded me of something that happens in First Class, where Magneto is like searching for the Nazis that killed his parents or just were part of uh, his cap captivity. So there's a scene where Professor Xavier comes upon Eric playing chess with someone, and I, because the artwork isn't so clear, I thought it was Magneto coming towards someone that he recognized, but it wasn't. So that kind of made me think of First Class a little bit. Um, but yeah, all in all, not very good. Um, none of these are very good. The Wolverine one is by Jay Ferber, pencils by Carl Waller, inks by Mark McKenna. Um, he's in Canada. He has a photo of him and a girl standing in front of a bar, so he's trying to find that bar again, and then comes across uh, a Chinese woman with amnesia. Turns out that she's an undercover cop. She was trying to go undercover with some kind of Chinese gang, gangster gang. Wolverine is trying to help her along the way. We get a fight with the Silver Samurai. So I thought, oh, okay. Uh, a little bit of a future foreshadowing for the Wolverine movie unintentionally, of course, but I thought that was kind of cool. And then the movie ends with Logan winding up in the bar where he meets Rogue, although the way they meet is very different from the movie. And then the Rogue one-shot, Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning, uh, penciled by Alan Evans, uh, inker Rob Nico. So she's on the run after what happened to the first boy that she sort of zapped, and she gets caught up in this whole wider organization that is capturing mutants and experimenting on them. 
And it turns out the leader of that organization is a mutant as well, and he wants to get rid of his powers. So there's something that kind of feels like uh, X-Men 3, The Last Stand. And it also is kind of like a riff on New Mutants because Rogue meets other mutants who are captured. Um, one of them is water-based. One of them can uh, turn himself into a tornado. Another one can control gravity. The artwork is not very good. She's in a containment suit that is cut really high on her hip. I want to say a lot of the art for her is referenced from models, even though she's supposed to, she's supposed to be a young girl. So that's kind of awkward. Um, and of all three of them, this is the one that I thought opened up a little too wide. Um, you know, her experience with all of that would have made her someone very different that we saw in the movie. So, and I know these aren't meant to go connect to the movie, but I just thought this one was a little bit to the left. Oddly enough, even though I didn't really enjoy these prequels, I kind of want to read the comic book adaptation for the movie. I don't know why. I just want to see what they had to go on. Did they have the script? Did they just have a synopsis, a breakdown? I kind of want to see it. I couldn't find it online anywhere, so I'll have to, I don't know, somewhere along the way I might read it. And then I also had a question of when did Ultimate X-Men, the title Ultimate X-Men, um, when was that released? Because I thought, is the movie trying to play on that? Um, but it turns out Ultimate X-Men was released in December of 2000, where the movie was released in July. So, sure, um, Marvel might have been able to spin some of their characters and the personalities of Ultimate X-Men based on the movie. Um, but I don't know, because I've never read Ultimate X-Men. And you have to think Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate X-Men, Ultimate Fantastic Four... All of these comics, clearly, I, I, I have to imagine some of the basis of why they wanted to start the Ultimate line was because they knew they had a movie universe coming with X-Men and then Spider-Man and then Fantastic Four. Um, I don't know. Maybe that connection is out there and I just never realized it or I did realize it and I just forgot. So, I don't know. Um, that's it. That's it. Just like that. Short and sweet, right? Those are my thoughts on the first X-Men movie. Let me know what you thought. And uh, I'll probably watch X-Men 2 pretty quickly. Um, and then I'll, you know, record a podcast about that. All right, this has been The Daily Rios, episode 457. Talk to you soon. Bye.